Welcome, family, friends, fans, and foes. It's time for another episode of Talking Wrestling on the Never Sleeps Network. I am your host, comedian Casey Corbin, and I am bringing you a episode after episode of comedy and wrestling and mixed up master mashes, blah, blah, blah. I don't know what I'm talking about, but hey, you can find us on Twitter, TNWPod at, you know, what I'm talking about. You can also find us on Instagram at, at Talking Wrestling Podcast. You can also email us on the Gmail at Talking Wrestling at Gmail. We are coming off of SummerSlam, one of the biggest events of the year. I was so looking forward to this weekend of watching NXT and SummerSlam that my buddy Ryan Denis, who will be on next week, uh, he called me up and said, hey, how would you like to come to Detroit with me and hang out with the Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man, for a couple days? Well, I couldn't turn that down. Needless to say, I went to Detroit, went to Ted's show, also got him to do an episode of Talking Wrestling. So on September 14th, the Million Dollar Man, WWE Hall of Famer, will be appearing here on Talking Wrestling. Don't miss this episode. It is fantastic. Uh, I got back from Detroit and had a lot of wrestling to catch up on before Raw. I didn't get a chance to watch NXT yet. I'm still avoiding that. Uh, spoilers. Uh, however, SummerSlam was fantastic. I enjoyed all the title changes. Uh, I enjoyed the card, the matches. Uh, the four-way was fantastic. I'm very happy for Natalia Natty Neidhart for winning the belt. Gender retaining makes me happy. Uh, Baron Corbin still lost is great. I just thought overall it was a fantastic card. And I'm looking for AJ and uh, McMahon and uh, Kevin Owens to eventually do a three-way, which is a lot to be exciting. But uh, let's get on with the show today. Connor versus Floyd. That's happening this weekend. I'm sure you know about it. UFC versus boxing in a mixed martial arts mashup. It's been all the talk. And to me, it has a very wrestling feel to it. And because Mayweather has a history with the WWE and uh, and and Connor has a history of feuding with wrestlers on Twitter, I thought uh, this would be a good time to go back and look at all the times that boxing and wrestling has crossed over. And when I started to think about all the times that boxing and wrestling crossover, I know what I know from my brain of wrestling knowledge, but I don't know everything about boxing. So I thought I got to bring in a boxing expert. And uh, I knew one man that knows everything about boxing. And he's a comedian that I used to tour with. And he's a friend of mine. I haven't seen him probably since about 2011 or 12. But, uh, you know, every now and again, you don't feel the need to reach out because you see people on Facebook and you see how they're doing and everything. But. But uh, Lou has crossed over uh, from comedy into the boxing world. He's a boxing journalist now, writer and contributor for Ring Magazine and Ringside Report. He's also a boxing commentator for TSN, which is Canada's ESPN. And he's a good friend of mine. He's sitting right across from me right now. Lou Eisen, welcome to Talkin' Wrestling. Thank you for the intro. I, I've con- Actually, I'm not a writer for Ring, but I've contributed some pieces to Ring. And that's always, uh, it's the number one boxing magazine in the world. So that's, yeah, that's it's, wonderful. It's and the PWI of wrestling, the pro wrestling illustrated of of, of, of boxing and I think the first uh, issue I ever got of Ring that I, I just bought in the last couple of years was one of Canadian Jimmy McLaren on the cover from 1930. Um, it, it's interesting you mentioned wrestling and boxing. There's a movie from the 19, I guess, late 30s, maybe early 40s called Gentleman Jim. And it's the story of Jim Corbett and how he defeated John L. Sullivan to become the first gloved heavyweight champion. And in the movie, Errol Flynn plays Gentleman Jim Corbett, and Ward Bond, who I really like, plays 
John O'Sullivan. Now, in the film, at the end, they become friends. But in real life, they hated each other with a passion. But I'm watching the movie, because I was a wrestling fan when I was younger. And I'm watching the opening sequences, and I thought, wait a minute. That's Ed Strangler Lewis. I said, that has to be Ed Strangler Lewis. That looks just like I've got pictures of him. And, of course, I'm watching the movie, waiting until it ends. And finally, at the end, it's at, you know opening sequence. And it says, Ed Strangler Lewis is one of the maybe top five greatest wrestlers of yeah. all time. So it was, it was a thrill to see him. And back then, you know, all those guys knew each other. In fact, one of the top wrestlers of the 1800s, William Muldoon, was the one who became the chairman of the New York State Athletic Commission. But he also would get John L. Sullivan in shape because Sullivan was a notorious drunkard. Crazy. There's a famous story when John L. was on stage once and he came out and he would say, Good evening. I'm the mighty John L. Sullivan and I'm... I'm... I'm drunker than a fiddler's bitch. <laughs> and I laughed, but I didn't know what it meant. I was reading this. So I asked a boxing historian, Clarence George, who I know. And he said, in the 1800s and before, uh, fiddlers would play bars and they sent drinks all the time. But they used to become so drunk, they couldn't finish their performance so they wouldn't get paid. So they would have their girlfriend or wife drink the drink for them. So he was sort of using a common day vernacular when he said bitch, but he said, I'm drunker than a fiddler's bitch. And of course, the audience laughed. That was <laughs> that was uh, John L. But um, yeah, boxing and wrestling have, you know, been together for a long time. Primo Carnera, who was in fixed fights, became a wrestler. Joe Lewis became a wrestler, then a referee. Jack Dempsey became a referee. In fact, Dempsey was challenged by a wrestler to a real fight. Cowboy Bob Luttrell. Yeah. And Dempsey beat the hell out of him. Well, this has happened. This, not only that, like a lot of times, I think because wrestling promoters and boxing promoters were so, they often shared the same venues, right? Right. And I think a lot of times wrestling promoters were smart enough to bring in a lot of uh, wrestling champions and they'd often make them the referee. All of a sudden you have Jack Dempsey, who's the referee. And then basically what, what happened with the Cowboy was uh, he didn't like one of his calls during a match. So the next week or the next month, boom, I'm fighting Jack Dempsey. Now, this has been recycled time and time again in wrestling. Right. Uh, Nature Boy, Buddy Rogers, he was uh, in a match. I wrote it down here. Where is it? But he did the exact same storyline where it was the exact same thing. He was... Uh, oh, this happened in Montreal. Yeah, so a week before, um, yeah, uh, Jersey Joe Walcott was the, the gentleman's name, the world, boxer. World heavyweight champion, yeah. Yeah, and this was in 1959, and he was a special guest referee, uh, referee between Buddy Rogers and uh, Edward uh, Carpentier, the flying Frenchman, who was my mother's favorite wrestler <laughs> and my grandfather's favorite wrestler. And things got messy after the match, and Wal uh, Walcott took a swing at Rogers, and then the following week, the two tangled in the main event. But this is how you know it wasn't a shoot. But Buddy Rogers always surrounded himself with only guys that he would work with, so... Right. He, he couldn't really control having the title. Um, it was very hard to get the titles off him. The original screw job, everybody talks about Bret Hart getting screwed in Montreal screw job. One of the original screw jobs was Bruno San Martino going up against Buddy Rogers because Bruno was there to take the belt off him. But they agreed to a 
the fixed finish as as wrestling is and uh then uh they still told bruno they said just go and do what you have to do to get the belt off him and but bruno is an honest man and as soon as they got in the ring he said buddy it's not going the way you think tonight so just do your best because i'm gonna do mine and bruno beat him in like 28 seconds and took the belt off him so so you know that if if he's beating jersey joe in over a minute that's definitely a fixed fight no he beat jersey joe well jersey joe by that time uh was long since retired then and he was fat oh really yeah he was out of shape in 51 he won the title it was on his fifth try for the title and in his first defense, he fought Rocky Marciano, and he dropped Rocky in the first round, and he was ahead after the, the 12th round, and he would have won a decision most likely, although Rocky, if he won the last three rounds, could have pulled it out. Anyways, in the 13th, Rocky caught him with the best, they say, the best right hand ever thrown. He caught him with a right hand on the chin and, you know, broke his jaw, broke his cheekbone, and... uh Walcott, they could have counted to a thousand, and he was out. And then in the rematch, of course, Rocky beat him in I think a minute, hit him with another shot, and that was it. And Walcott never fought again. He appeared in the movie The Harder They Fall, but the story of Primo Carnero, which I think is the best boxing movie ever done. Yeah. But in his prime, I don't, you know, if it was a real boxing match, a boxer would destroy a wrestler. And Primo had a, a history of, of wrestling as well, as you, as you said, right? He right. Well, Primo's fights, most of his fights were fixed. And there's this belief that, and true to an extent, that the mafia took his money. But actually, the original managers of his, the, the guy, uh, Leon C., who found him in, in, when he was in France... Uh, as a circus strongman, as the guy who really stole most of his money and set up his matches. And so when he retired from boxing, he had no money. He'd made $4 million, but I think his total overall after they stole everything from him was literally like $26 or something. So he had to uh, get into wrestling, and he was making money, and he was doing that until he had heart problems, and then he had, he became a referee. And there's a famous picture of Dempsey throwing a punch at him yeah. uh, when they were disagreeing about something. And same with Joe Lewis. Lewis became a referee because he, or a wrestler, because he didn't have any money after boxing, but it was his fault. Uh, he never blamed anyone else. He outspent his income. And then he had a bruised heart when some 400-pound wrestler sat on him. And then he uh, became a referee after. Another boxer turned uh, referee. This was later on in the 80s, mid-80s. You ever heard of a boxer named Scott Ledoux? Mm-hmm. After he retired from boxing, he became an AWA ref in the American Wrestling Association. Yeah. And once again, uh, there, the angle was Larry Zabisco, who is uh, Bruno San Martino's protege. He was uh, not happy with the way Ledoux was wrestling in his matches. I mean, uh, refing his matches. Eventually, that leads to Ledoux coming out of retirement in a boxer versus wrestling match. That was uh, the main event of uh, Wrestle Rock, which is uh, a sadly... AWA's attempt at WrestleMania, and it pretty much almost bankrupted them, and they didn't have that much. They all folded probably in 87, 88 by then. But also in the AWA, Mark Gasno and Derek Dukes also, but I don't really consider Gasno. Do you consider him much of a boxer? No, his fights were all fixed. Same as Mickey Rourke fixed. Yeah. His fights were all fixed. 
Excellent. That's good to know that that it does. You know, the fixing does happen in boxing. You know, <laughs> well, it, it it still happens to an extent in that. And Teddy Atlas, who's trained a lot of great fighters and worked for ESPN, a great guy. And uh, Teddy has said that the, one of the problems in boxing today is if you have a fighter, uh, one fighter A is fighting fighter B for a world title, let's say the world welter or middleweight title. And uh, during the week, though, if it's the WBA or WBC or whatever alphabet organization, uh, they'll have parties all week. And at the parties, it'll be both fighters, their managers, uh, their trainers, along with officials from the organization, the referees, judges, and it's a real conflict of interest. And Teddy Atlas once said, you know, in the World Series, you don't see the owners of the Yankees having dinner with the umpiring crew on the night of a game. It just yeah. doesn't happen. Only in boxing does that happen. So what will happen is a promoter will say to the referee or the judges, I I'm not telling you to vote for my guy. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. I I'm just saying I will be holding a special series of cards in the Bahamas. And I know you and your wife and your three kids haven't had a vacation ever. And, you know, I'd like to maybe treat you there and so that influences and that shouldn't happen boxing should be before the first Ali Liston fight Liston was a mob fighter and the mob tried to influence the outcome because they kept saying who's the ref who's the judges and there's a great video of my surrogate father Angelo Dundee with his brother Chris Dundee and Chris used to promote boxing matches on trains with Frankie Carbo who was with the Lucchese family and Blinky Palermo who was also with the Lucchese crime family Chris wasn't mobbed up but you had to work with these guys mm -hmm. and so Jack Nyland who was Liston's manager said you know what my guys want to know who the referee and the judges are and Chris Dundee said my guys supersede your guys in other words my guys run the whole damn sport yeah and so what you say means you know you're not going to find out and they did it the right way they, they they sequestered eight or nine refs and about 15 judges and they only picked them minutes before the fight so the mob couldn't the mob couldn't get to them get to them yeah and and nylon said my guys won't be happy with that and angelo said to him what do you care your guy's gonna win in 30 seconds anyways right because Ali wasn't considered a viable contender back then. Mm -hmm. He was considered a, a, a flake, you know, a joke, and, and no one gave him a chance. The best you could get was 7-1 to one, uh, against for Ali. But most of the time, it was 10-1 to one or 25-1, to one and, and no one gave him a chance. The problem is Liston hadn't trained, and Liston had only had knocked out his last three opponents in one round apiece in under a minute over a span of three years. And as Angelo said to Ali, he's older than dirt. He's not 32, he's 45. And he's 6'1", you're just under 6'4". He's 210, you're 220. When you go to the center of the ring for the instructions, don't slouch, stand up straight, look him right in the eye and start talking to him. And that's what he did. And one of the times I spoke to Muhammad years later, I said to Muhammad, will you were you afraid of Liston? And he said, are you crazy? He was a gangster. He shot a gun at me, a loaded gun in Vegas. He pointed at my head and he shot just over my head. He, Jesus. Scared, he scared the shit out of me. But I knew that because he was in prison a long time, there's only one thing tough guys are afraid of. Crazy guys, because you can't read a crazy guy. So if I acted crazy and nuts, 
you know, Liston wouldn't know how to take it. And also, you can't fight angry. And Muhammad would go to Liston's house in Denver, where, where Liston lives in an all-white neighborhood. And Ali would say, come on here, you big ugly bear, you dummy. And and when they would have press conferences, Ali would say to, say to Liston, spell your name. Because Liston was an illiterate. How do you spell your name? Spell it. And he couldn't spell it. He said, count to 10 for me, sonny. Count to 10. Couldn't do it. Yeah. Couldn't, couldn't read or write, and 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 Sonny would say, "Well, you, you, I'm, I'm," and Ali would go, "Blah blah 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 blah." Would say something, Sonny. Show the world you have a, at least a little bit of a brain. I couldn't match him. Yeah, and and Liston was so angry at fight time that he just came out and roared at him, and Ali just ducked out of the way and kept moving. And finally, midway through the round, he hits him with a right hand or left jab. Cuts Liston over the eye, hits him with the right hand and staggers him. And then Ali says, how do you like it, motherfucker? How do you like being bullied? And he, Liston had intimidation like Tyson. And Ali took it away from him. And after that, Liston didn't have anything left. Ali was hitting him six, seven, eight shots in a row. And he was calling his shots. Here comes a left hand. Bang. Here comes a right hand. Bang. Here comes a six punch combination. And beat the hell out of him and made him quit. That's insane. Yeah, and and after that, all these people hated Ali because he learned from Gorgeous George, of course, that, uh, like Ali said in an interview, he said, Jim Jacobs interviewed him. He became Tyson's manager. And he said to him, it's from 1964, he said, what percentage of people are coming to see you? And he said, 100% are coming to see me, but 99% are coming to see me get beat. So are you worried? No. Why, you have confidence? No, I have these. And he held up his fist, you know. Yeah. And he said, uh, these will do my talking for me. And uh, he did a thing where I can't do it, where he rolled his tongue and made a, like a really big sound after and said, there he is. And uh, he was right. They all came to see him get beat, but they didn't get what they wanted. No. He, he got that from wrestling. He was a huge fan of wrestling. Um, Rouse told me a story. Now, this is in his bio, uh, in Roddy Piper's bio as well. But so Russell Peters will have... He, you know, obviously, you know, Russell's a huge yeah. boxing fan. Yeah. And uh, he would, and also MMA. And they'll have MMA nights at Russell's place where um, Russell's friends will go over and watch the MMA fights. And one of the people that were going, dropping by Russell's place was Rowdy Roddy Piper at the time. And he was, uh, they were talking about Ali. And he told Jason Rouse and a bunch of other people the story about how Ali put him over in Japan. Like, Ali was over there promoting the, the, the Anoki fight. Right. And uh, Roddy was over there on a, probably his first Japanese tour, and nobody knew who he was. But but Ali recognized him from California wrestling. And he's like, you're Roddy Piper, and he was a big fan. And then Roddy's like, I'm nobody over here. Nobody knows who I am. I can't get a lick of press. I can't get anything. He's like, you know what? He's like, in the middle of this press conference, I'll, you just pop your head in. I'll call you out. We'll get into confrontation, and you body slam me on the table and and then he like he just booked the whole segment for Roddy Piper you know just right. like a wrestling booker would this yeah. is what's going to happen all of a sudden he called out Roddy Piper in the Japanese press conference and the next thing you know Piper is now an international wrestling star Muhammad Ali put him over and changed like set him on his career like yeah. that I love that story because that was Ali he never he never had to do that and then of course the Inoki fight like Bruno said they he initially wanted to wrestle Bruno 
because Bruno was the best, but they wanted eight million. Uh, but Vince Senior was not going to do eight million, even if even the way all the promoters came together to promote the card. You know, Ali brought them all together because each promoter from NWA, NWA, and WWF, WWWF at the time, um, they all carried the Anoki fight. Uh, Ali fight closed circuit, uh, but they all had their own undercard. And for example, in Shea Stadium, the undercard included Chuck Wapner versus Andre the Giant, which I was saw that. which was actually a better fight than Enoki. And uh, but that's what Rocky Three Thunderlips and Hogan, uh, Hogan and Rocky. That's all based on that fight. And I watched it again last night, and it's really good. And the story, like they had words before the fight that. Okay, this is how we'll do it. You know, you throw some shots. I'll throw. I'll throw some jabs. We'll give them a good show, and then we'll just go home. That was the match plan. But I get from the storyline is, Webner was overwhelmed at Andre's size and how fast he could actually move, and that he couldn't get anything on. And then, you know, the way it was going is it's so funny because that it leans towards boxing rules these fights, whereas as soon as you touch the ropes you have to let him go whereas in wrestling putting a guy into the ropes is part of wrestling right so in one of the breaks webner all of a sudden gives like andre a ba- like probably a four shots to the back of the head as you've seen the fight i don't know if you've seen it oh i, I have it, it, of course but then andre just lost it and andre yelled at gorilla monsoon who was in his corner it's a shoot you know it's like and then everything went to shit um but it was exciting it was like you know you watch the alley match and you know it's just the same thing for 50 for for the entire match what was it 15 rounds of just of an Alley clowning and an Anoki just kicking his leg. Ali, yeah, Ali had blood clots after that, which became serious. He said, "I heard his leg was never the same." But I just knew Ali loved wrestling so much that maybe he like kept it legit and all constantly said that. No, to no, saw it, but that's true. Yeah, he did have blood clots after. It wasn't a legit fight, but Inoki did kick him. And you know, a property as valuable as Muhammad Ali, you can't take a chance with. With Chuck Wepner, who was known as the Bayonne Bleeder. Um, I spent a time in a limo with him once from the Hall of Fame to Ottawa because they have this annual boxing event for the Boys and Girls Club there. And uh, Webner's six five; he's a big man, and he fought Ali. He, he he didn't knock him down. They gave him credit for it. He stepped in Ali's foot, yeah. and then he hit him, and Ali lost his balance when he was moving back and fell. And so Webner turned and went to his corner and said, "Get the limo started. We're going to win the title." And his trainer said, "You better look up." Muhammad just got up and he's fucking angry. And then Ali went over and knocked him out. Webner had never been knocked out. And there's a famous story before the fight where Webner said to his wife, tonight you'll be having sexual intercourse with the world heavyweight champion. So after the fight, she says to him, do I go to Ali's room or does he come here? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Webner fought Sonny Liston in Liston's last fight. And Webner was cut to hell and he needed something like 150 stitches in his face wow and they asked him listen he's the bravest man you ever met he said no his manager is because i mean to get in the ring with a killer like sonny liston even when liston was over the hill yeah and and take a a a whooping like that the thing about boxing is uh and this applies to conor mcgregor and floyd mayweather we know 
I mentioned you probably saw the thing I did on CTV where Tim Haig died. Tim Haig was in Edmonton and he was an MMA fighter. He lost four of his previous five fights. Five, he lost five fights, I think, in a row. He got four by knockout. Boxing, you need a pedigree to do well. And a guy like Floyd, who's had hundreds of amateur fights and is really prepared and knows how to slip and slide with punches he knows the shoulder roll he knows balance and leverage he has speed he has great field of vision he can see what you're going to throw he's thinking three four punches down the line to say that somebody like conor mcgregor has even a remote chance would be like saying to relate to comedy you and i over the years have been besieged after a show with people saying you know my friend is really funny at parties can you help him being funny at a party and being a professional comedian are entirely two different skills yeah most people can be funny at a party making strangers laugh immediately and not falling to pieces if they don't laugh immediately is a skill most guys that are think they're the funniest guy at a party when they get up on stage which we've all seen a thousand times they shit themselves the yeah. first time the first two jokes don't work they almost have a stroke mma is a different skill set completely striking a guy in mma and then when he goes down jumping on him and hitting him on the back of the head and elbowing him or kneeing him it's nothing to do with boxing at all boxing was like that in the 1700s before the marcus of queensberry rules came in you could pull a guy by the hair you could gouge his eyes wow you could do all that until they instituted these rules but to say that a guy like conor mcgregor who i'm sure um, although he he has submitted in mma he has tapped out the, the thing is floyd's never lost and mcgregor people that pick mcgregor saying they're basically making this point that floyd's never dealt with anyone like him uh, mcgregor won't be approaching him from a boxing uh, standpoint which to me means he's going to get beat even worse and McGregor's going to throw punches from two or three feet away as if McGregor invented that. Floyd's fought guys with longer reach that don't have to go in close. But it's all under the presumption these MMA people make that Floyd's going to actually stand there and let McGregor come to him and hit him. He's not going to stand there and trade shots with him. Mayweather never did that. No. Mayweather's going to keep circling him, as he did all other fighters, forcing McGregor to constantly turn, keep shifting, therefore never allowing him to set his feet properly to get off a shot with any leverage or power on it. When when they said, well, you know, McGregor's going to rehydrate to 170 and Floyd will be maybe 150. You know what? Canelo Alvarez was almost 170 when he fought Floyd, and Floyd won every round. In fact, there was a round in the Canelo fight where it was almost like an optical illusion, where Canelo hit him with a jab, and it was just as he was coming over with the right hand, Floyd hit him twice in the chin and knocked him back. And the look on Canelo's face was like, how did you do that? That's not physically possible. Mm -hmm. my, my, my right hand was less than an inch from your face. I'd already hit you, and yet you, you, know, you hit me twice. Yeah. I mean, Floyd's incredibly quick, great vision, great foot movement. Also, he's a tough son of a bitch. He can take a good rap. Oh, and I'll, he's been tagged before. He, I'll tell you, I watched his wrestling match from WrestleMania this morning and uh, before I came down here. And 
he's tough. Like, you know, like it's like it, I, boxing and wrestling are obviously two different things, but it also, you know, you can't fake falling down. And if you get slammed by the big show, who's, who's seven foot five and you're up there and he's throwing you on the ground, that's going to hurt your back, especially when you're not used to having your back hit the mat. Right. Like Mayweather is, or you take a chop from the big show. I would not want to take a chop from the big show. He, he shushes the audience and then he slaps you in the chest as hard as he can. And it's, it echoes. It's, it's crazy. Like that's, that's, that's going to hurt. Um, but, Mayweather is a performer and I think he will perform in this match. I think both guys are looking to perform an exciting match, mm-hmm. but you know, the last Mayweather fight was who? Him and Manny? Was that it? The last Mayweather fight he ever had was against Andre Berto, who's a shot okay. fighter. But when he fought Manny, there's an interesting thing. About three, four months before the fight, uh, I got a phone call from a friend in Vegas saying Manny tore his rotator cuff. So his right hand is useless. Mm-hmm. But they spoke with the Mayweather camp, and the Mayweather camp said, if it's not healed in time for the fight, we'll allow you to get a cortisone treatment. Yeah. And everyone agreed. And so they went, great. So the fight's coming up. And Manny couldn't afford to delay it because he owed millions in back taxes in Philippines and in the States. Wow. He needed the money. Mm-hmm. And they, sh- they should have fought three or four years before. Anyways, should have, could have, would have. Every argument people are making for Conor McGregor now, I made on behalf of Manny. You know, I went on ESPN. I went on all these shows. And I said, well, the shoulder roll works well against an orthodox fighter who's coming at him in a straight line. Uh, Pacquiao's a southpaw, and he throws punches from all angles. How would a shoulder roll work against that? Anyways... Come fight night, they want to give him the cortisone treatment, and the assistant to the commissioner of the Nevada State Athletic Commission said, oh, we had the wrong papers. Signed the wrong papers. These aren't the papers to allow the cortisone shot. And and the commissioner said, oh, that was my fault. I brought the wrong papers. Or I had us sign the wrong papers. So Pacquiao's lawyer said, oh, that's all right. You're the commissioner, so you can just overrule it. I'm not going to. But we had an agreement with the Mayweather camp. We have a legal agreement. He can take the cortisone shot. I'm not allowing it, but you have to allow it because he can't use his right arm otherwise. And Manny was in excruciating pain for that fight. I still think if Manny was 100%, Floyd would have won anyways. I don't think it would have made much of a difference. Floyd was just that much better. Yeah. And you can only fight a guy when you fight a guy. One of the most common arguments I always hear is, um, yeah, Marciano knocked out Joe Lewis, which Angelo Dundee told me was the saddest night of his life because Marciano loved Lewis. He idolized him. But they said, you know, if it was 15 years earlier, uh, Lewis would have killed him. Yeah, because Marciano would have been 17. And Lewis w- would have been in the prime of his career. Yeah. And he would have destroyed him. He would Anyone would have destroyed Marciano at that point. But at that point, Ali was old. Floyd is not in his prime. He's past his prime. And he'd been past his prime in boxing for three, four, five years. He still had more than enough left skill-wise, mm-hmm. you know, to defeat uh, good fighters. I don't think uh, McGregor has much of a chance. I, It's a money grab, but no one's forcing you or I or anyone with a gun to their head to watch it. No, we yeah, don't, don't I, don't, have I haven't even decided if I'm going to watch it or not. Well, I'll, I'll see how I feel Saturday night. 
Right. You know, if I if I want to watch it or if I don't want to watch it, uh, you know, Mayday Malone's will be having it on the the big screen just around the corner from my house. So I'll be going there if I do want to watch it. Maybe I'll be hungry for some, for some wings and I'll right. go watch it. But other than that, I'm not making... It's not. I'm not like not going out. I've got a show Saturday night, Absolute Comedy, but um, great club. There's no way that I'm going to. This is you know. I blew off. I blew off SummerSlam last week. You know, which is a big deal. It's the second yeah. biggest card of the. But I was going to meet a WWE Hall of Famer to get him on the podcast, so it was no. It was a no brainer. But um, yeah, this you know, if not like, it's just the, the hype is you know. I, like jeepers on showtime where they have a, a 12 episode documentary on just the fight itself you know it's uh they know how to sell it it i'm curious to see what it what it draws and how much it makes but mma i always joke about mma how you know i don't watch a lot of mma because to be honest why i like wrestling is because i like the action of boxing and mma but i don't want a lot watching somebody get knocked out in boxing is one thing but watching somebody break somebody's arm or something like get like mma is just too violent for me i don't want i don't enjoy watching people get hurt right I, I call it violence porn that's essentially what it is and i watched it with my cousin len who's a doctor one of the first ones where they had tank abbott on and uh, he was calling all the injuries mm. okay that's a subdural hematoma on the brain they have about 60 seconds that's why all the doctors are working on him before he's finished and yeah i mean they're they're all wrestlers are athletes as well and i would doubt very few if any of them ever fight completely healthy you yeah. know they're probably always nursing injuries and, think, yeah and, always and and they're always doing it night after night after night and your body takes a beating and you look what happened to bret hart i mean he had a heart attack yeah and and a lot of the fighters there's there was a fighter from montreal named dino bravo yes and he was murdered in a mob hit 17 bullets to the chest yes <laughs> he was fighting bret hart bret was telling this story and he slammed bret hart to the canvas or whatever and hart said i'm whispered to him i'm injured i think i broke some ribs which he did and bravo just ignored it and kept pounding him even when hart put they put him on it yeah. was a legitimate ambulance and these ambulance attendants are taking him away and dino's attacking them and they ended up suing him we're real ambulance attendants yeah we're not part of the show the man's injured back off yeah and bravo just uh, i don't know if he didn't understand or he didn't care but you know i mean these guys are athletes and and most of them when i was growing up came from football or need the cat well, they come from other sports like uh, you mentioned tank abbott many mma wrestlers have crossed over into wrestling uh, tank abbott went into wrestling he didn't have a good career probably ken shamrock had the best career as a pro wrestler where he wrestled slice. he wrestled in main events he was trained by brett hard as well and uh he wrestled in main events he wrestled many years in wrestling he's probably the best guy um who else was another guy that crossed he was also over. a skilled university wrestler whereas a guy like tank abbott was just a bar brawler yeah and he had no stamina no you know four or five years ago not even that long maybe three four years ago uh, a friend of mine dylan carmen from madoc ontario who's the canadian heavyweight champ he's from belleville he was fighting a guy Eric um, Martin Boheli from Montreal for the Canadian heavyweight title. Boheli was a hockey goon. Okay. 
and the fight went eight rounds. I I predicted an eight round knockout for Dylan, which is what happened. And when I was asked how I predicted it, I said like I predict all my other boxing predictions, luck. So, but I I reasoned that because Boelli was a, a hockey goon, he's not going to have the stamina to fight for three minutes of every round. So mm. he managed to drop Dylan several times. But when Dylan dropped him, Dylan really dropped him. And by about the seventh eighth round, this hockey goon was so exhausted that Dylan hit him, and he just he was he was more tired than hurt. Yeah, and couldn't get up. Wrestlers in the ring are in phenomenal shape, but they do make mistakes. They do get injured, and they do get hurt. You know, same with MMA guys. It's still a different skill set. It totally is. And if we, well, the joke I used to make to MMA fans was like, "Look, you've I can think I can name three wrestlers right now that had MMA careers before they were wrestlers, and they didn't really do that well. They never won a wrestling championship." I was like, "However, I can name one wrestler." that went in MMA and became a world champion on his first Brock match. Lesnar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but Brock Lesnar, and it's funny because Brock Lesnar, who is now going into renegotiations to, for his contract with WWE, he only has maybe about six months left on his current contract. He was already talking about going back to UFC to fight John Jones, and that was his contract leverage, you know. But uh, that's not going to happen now because John right. Jones just came out and uh, his last fight, he got caught with steroids. Right, tested so, positive. So did Kimbo Slice. Kimbo Slice is another guy who went into... No, he didn't go into pro wrestling. Somebody else. He went into boxing. Yeah. He was a street fighter. He was a football player at University of Florida first. And then he went into MMA. He died when he was 41. But if you look at some of his MMA fights and boxing matches, a lot of them were overruled after because he was caught with steroids and yeah. that, that had to have weakened his heart to have a heart attack at 41 i would think so you know brock's last fight was he was caught for steroids well i don't know if it's steroids but the he did not pass the test which is unfortunate but who cares the fight's already the money is there still there big deal he gets suspended for six months he's wrestling he doesn't care he's making tons of money in wrestling and to be honest i don't want him to leave wrestling i love brock lesnar he is wasn't he a wrestler in university? I mean, he, has oh, a, he was. He was. He was a. Yeah, he was a like four-time and NCAA champion. He's a legitimate wrestler, and he's fantastic, and he's the real deal. When you see him, you're like, because he does double sports, it gives him more uh, legitimacy as a as a true athlete. You know, like Kurt Angle. When you see Kurt Angle wrestle, you know this is a gold medal. He's the only gold medal wrestler that's won gold medals in the olympics and now has become a wrestler so he le legitimifies the, the that he's a wrestler and it's fantastic do they have divisions in wrestling like in boxing like middleweight well, like they have they have the heavyweight but now they have uh cruiserweight which is 205 anybody under 205 they have their own show 205 live and then they have the women's division which is actually strong and i think you're going to see this in a couple of years. I think you're going to see Ronda Rousey make the jump into pro wrestling. One of her best friends already is. Mm -hmm. um, and there is so much money waiting for Ronda Rousey. And I'll tell you, if she takes it, her versus Ric Flair's daughter, Charlotte Flair, who's the best woman's wrestler in wrestling today, they will main event at WrestleMania. They'll be the first two women to main event at WrestleMania. Well, I'll tell you, when I worked for Lennox, we were... It never got to the 
planning stage. But we spoke to Ronda Rousey's people about her coming and fighting a Canadian fighter boxer named Sandy Seguris, who's a good friend of mine. And the owner of the company, Les Woods, didn't realize, although we told him that, uh, you know, you're not going to get Ronda Rousey in a boxing match for less than half a million. You know, at that time, she hadn't been beaten. Uh, I know Holly Holm. And I just thought it was crazy for Ronda Rousey to fight her because... Holman's a world champion boxer and not just a world champion a dominant world champion yeah she didn't have any easy fight she beat the best and she's a southpaw and when you're fighting i'm a southpaw and even southpaws don't like fighting other southpaws because you're looking it's like looking at yourself backwards in the mirror it's it's hard to reason with yourself where the punches are coming from Mm -hmm. they're not coming from where they usually come from so when when you're fighting uh, a southpaw fighter you want to circle to your left away from their power hand their left hand well the fight starts and ronda rousey is circling or to her right she's circling right into holly's left hand and holly tags her and hurts her and and i'm just thinking you know and and in between after the first round ronda's trainer saying you're doing great you're doing wonderful keep circling to your right and i'm thinking no no no. not when you fight a southpaw you you have to circle the other way because you'll get caught yeah and she got caught and then the comeback fight which i saw it lasted what 20 seconds maybe and this nunez just beat the crap out of her so she had a great run nine fights and then they dropped her but there is a career in wrestling waiting for her and there's also a career in hollywood probably yeah but i would take the wrestling one first because you can do hollywood and wrestling at the same time you can use wrestling as a springboard to hollywood ask dwayne johnson he's dominating hollywood now yeah you know uh there are people out there that don't even know that the rock was a wrestler they just know him as a movie star now these are some of the ones over the years the wwe has brought in many wrestlers uh these are these are so funny so back in uh, february 23rd of 1990 the wwe was advertising mike tyson was going to be a special guest referee for hogan versus macho man however um mike tyson lost the title to uh, Buster Douglas in Japan uh, earlier that year and now we have Buster Douglas it was like oh I was so excited to see Mike Tyson on but now we get Buster Douglas was a special referee uh he replaced Tyson uh Tyson has admitted now he talks about you know he was having sex the night before the fight and up late and didn't give the fight as much respect as he should have gave it well does that really does sex really kill you before no no, it doesn't angelo dundee told me gil clancy jerry corey's manager manager rodrigo valdez who gave monzon great fights to middleweight champ all the guys that i knew trainer said no that's just not true but what they want the reason they don't want you to have sex is don't want you to come in angry and mean and take it out on that guy but um i don't think tyson did have sex uh the night before or maybe he did i think he underestimated douglas because douglas was like a 75 to 1 underdog he hadn't really done anything spectacular in his career he'd lost the guys he should have beaten mm-hmm. now douglas is 6-4 and he would come in usually at 275 he was really fat and then he for this fight he got down to about 235 um one of the reasons tyson lost is because he one thing you don't want to do in a boxing match is you don't want to make it personal you don't yeah. want to motivate the guy and so douglas's mother died a couple weeks before the fight and he was crying talking about her at the press conference and tyson made a comment to the effect that he had dug up 
Douglas's mother and and uh, um, fucked her in the head and, and her skull and and vile things. And yeah. so Douglas, at that point, it's not even beating Tyson. It's wanting to take Tyson's life. And so he's bigger. He's fighting a good fight. He's using his jab. Tyson has trouble with bigger guys. Tyson's eyes swelling. And Tyson caught him. In the eighth round, Douglas with an uppercut, Douglas went down. He was angry, but he was smart. He took the full nine count, got up. Uh, Tyson, in his one-man show, said that was a long count. I don't think it was. And then, you know, a couple rounds later, he ends up knocking Tyson out. Uh, I was, not that I'm, I'm not bragging by any means, I was at the Hamilton Yuck Yucks. <laughs> yeah, you're bragging. Yeah, <laughs> in, in Hamilton, the city that smells as good as it looks. And I'm watching this fight. Well, there's other comics on stage. So when the fight ends, because I'm hosting the show, I run on stage and I tell the audience and they laugh. I said, turn on your radio. He beat him. And they all, they were hysterical. Yeah. They thought it was a joke. And well, it sounds like a joke. Nobody expected it. No, it was the biggest upset in the sport up until that time. And, and he beat him. Now, when he fought Lennox Lewis... You know, people would say, well, is Tyson going to beat Lewis? And I thought they fought four times in the amateurs. Tyson beat him once. Lewis beat him three in a row. Lewis is 6'5", 250s in shape. Lewis, as a kid, was a mean, nasty kid. And he's completely different now, of course. He's a real gentleman, but great fighter. And the thing about Lennox Lewis is, of course, unfortunately for Tyson, Lewis doesn't scare worth a damn. So when Tyson tried to pull all that crap, Lewis just said, doesn't matter, Mike, you still got to get in the ring with me. You still got to get in that ring. Yeah. And Lewis pounded him, you know, punished him before he knocked him out. He could have knocked him out earlier, but he wanted to really punish him. Now, Lennox Lewis, for those of you who don't know, was a, a Canadian boxer who also boxed out of England professionally. And uh, not only that, he Won was the Olympic the, gold medal for Olympic Canada. Olympic gold medal for Canada. Super heavyweight. And he was in the corner for the British Bulldog at SummerSlam 92 in Wembley Stadium. Uh, he carried out the flag with him. Uh, so, so, WrestleMania, the first... Now, WrestleMania has a bit of a history with boxing because Ali was the guest referee. Mm-hmm. And Piper said that by that time it was 84 and Ali's Alzheimer's was coming in a little bit yeah, so he was outside the ring Parkinson's actually yeah. Parkinson's sorry my bad they said uh, Piper said he'd be outside the ring and Ali would like you know he like didn't know what was going on there was just a scuffle so then next thing you know he starts swinging and and Piper was like well you, even at that age you still don't want to get hit or clipped by an Ali punch no you know and he's like throwing real punches and he's like get back in the ring he's throwing punches you know but he was out there to keep the fight inside the ring um, Wrestlemania 2 Mr. T boxed Rowdy Roddy Piper and uh, Mr. T was t- uh, trained by Lou Duva who I'm sure you know obviously oh, very well. he just passed away Lou Duva yeah have no fear Lou Duva's here that's what Angelo used to say Lou Duva worked he went back to the 40s and 30s in boxing he worked with Rocky Marciano great guy wonderful story Oscar De La Hoya he worked with him as well did he not maybe in the Olympics or I don't think he worked with no professional trainers can't work with Olympic fighters. oh no no but but uh, although they do no, he, he worked with the famous 84 team that featured Evander Holyfield, uh, Pernell Whitaker, uh, a lot of great fighters that Lou turned into uh, world champions. Lou was very colorful. 
I've long had a crush on his daughter-in-law, Kathy Duva, who was married to his son, Dan, who unfortunately passed away from a brain tumor. Um, Lou trained Andrew Galata, the foul pole. And the reason they call him the foul pole is Galata was 6'5". He fought Riddick Bowe, the guy that Lewis stopped in the Olympics for the super heavyweight gold medal. And also Bowe, rather than defend against Lewis in the pros, Bowe gave up his title voluntarily. Did yeah. not want any part of Lennox Lewis. So... Andrew Galata is fighting Riddick Bowe, and he's beating the crap out of him. He's hitting him to the jaw. He's pounding him to the belly. And the announcers are saying, and I'm watching this thinking, I don't know how much more Bowe can take of this. He's giving a beating. And what? And Andrew Galata, like Arthur Spilka, who's a current Brit, uh, Polish fighter, like a lot of Polish former, or current or former Polish heavyweights, was a professional soccer hooligan. And he's fighting Bo, and he's beating him handily. And then he takes, he steps back, takes one step back, winds up, and hits Bo in the testicles. I mean, this was deliberate. Mm-hmm. And a flagrant foul, you can disqualify him. So he did it three times in the fight. And the third time, the referee Mills Lang just said, that's it. You're disqualified. And Galata's walking around and going, me so stupid, me so stupid. And Lou Dubin's saying, why'd you do that? You won, you won the first eight rounds. There were four rounds to go. Yeah. You could have run and won the world title. And then he fights him again. And Lou Dubois said before the fight, do not throw any body punches. Just go for his head. Same thing. Two, three fouls, hits him flagrantly in the nuts. Referee once again says, you're gone. And then Galata fights Tyson, gets knocked out in a round. And then he fights Lewis and gets knocked out in 60 seconds. Lennox told me when they went to the center of the ring for the referee's instructions, Galata wouldn't look at him. And Lewis said, look at me. And he wouldn't look at him. He said, look at me, Andrew. I'm the reason you're making $5 million tonight. You can at least have the courtesy to look at me. And so when, yeah. when he won't look at him, they go back to the corner. And he says to Emmanuel, I'm going to take him out now. And Emmanuel Stewart says, no, 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 no. No, no, just pound him, work on him. Or, you know, the, the knockout will come. And he says, no, screw that. And he went out and knocked him out immediately. Dropped him in the first 20 seconds. And you could see the terror in Galata's eyes because Lennox had this way of making his face completely devoid of emotion. Yeah. And it's terrifying, especially since Lennox was so gifted. And, uh, you know, he took a beating. Galata would be a guy would be a guy that would be perfect for wrestling. I don't know where he is now, but he would, you know, he would do that. Bring him in. Yeah. Mr. T in his corner, however, now Mr. T, not only was he clubber lying in Rocky three, but he also had a tough man boxing background. He used to do those tough man competitions. And he was a bodyguard too. Yeah. So he had smoking Joe Fraser in his corner and uh, then they didn't do any wrestling or boxing stuff until WrestleMania 14 when this was like the, probably the biggest use of a boxer and a wrestler next to the Mayweather was they finally got together with Mike Tyson and Tyson, they brought him in for the build up to WrestleMania 14. Uh, they, and uh, the first night they brought him on raw stone cold. Steve Austin shows up, gets in an altercation with him pushing shoving starts he gives him the double fingers you know the uh, schmoz develops it makes espn it does all the rounds on the sports like everything everybody picked it up because tyson's back and this was like his first big thing coming back well like because i don't know if it was after or whatever but but this was a big deal and uh 
right then at the WCW and WWE, Ted Turner's wrestling and Vince McMahon's wrestling, they were in a war against each other. And this turned the war in the favor of WWE. Uh, it would lead to Tyson going into... So basically, he was named special guest referee. Wow, there's a surprise with wrestling. He aligned himself with the bad guys, Degeneration X. And he was supposed to be in their corner as the referee, crooked ref. And needless to say, when it came time to count the three, uh, he counted a fast three on Shawn Michaels. He took off his shirt. He had an Austin 316 shirt on. And he won Steve Austin the title. And then Shawn Michaels and him got in a little altercation after the match. Sure enough, Tyson knocks him out. And we don't see Shawn Michaels for five years. So it was a hell of a knockout. And this turned the... Um, this was in 98. He returned to Raw in 2010 as guest host, and he reunited with D-Generation X. Shawn Michaels was back by then, and uh, he knocked out Chris Jericho that night. And uh, tonight, today, Tyson is one of the few wrestlers that is in the uh, WWE Hall of Fame. A few boxers, yeah. A few well, boxers, my bad. Sorry. Yeah, well, you know, here's an interesting question um, with Shawn Michaels. I saw a documentary on on Bret Hart. My ex-wife is from Calgary, so she said the Hart family is huge out there. Yeah, Natty Neidhart won the belt at WrestleMania, I mean at SummerSlam this week. Mm -hmm. She was front page of the Monday Sun. And page two. Well, there was a documentary on Bret Hart where sadly they showed the death of his brother Owen. And they also showed where he's fighting Shawn Michaels and Michaels had him on the canvas and the referee gave a quick count. One, two, three. Yeah. And Bret Hart was furious. Yeah, it was a Montreal screw job. Yeah, and he went in to, after you see him back, say he's saying to Shawn Michaels, were you part of this? Did you know beforehand? And Michaels said, no, but he's lying. You can tell he's lying. He yeah, said, yeah. I don't believe you. And then he went to see Vince McMahon and just spit on him. Oh, and yeah. I, I mean, that was definitely a screw job. He, he knocked him out. He knocked Vince McMahon out. Yeah. Vince said, I'll give you one punch. And then he told his guy and, and Brett knocked him. Shawn Michaels was in the dressing room when it happened. And uh, Brett knocked him out, put him in the hospital. He was in the hospital overnight. Yeah, the, the what is that documentary called? I believe it's um, uh, Wrestling with Shadows. It's yes. fantastic. Canadian Proust documentary. There's also a story, Don King who, when he was inducted into the Boxing Hall of Fame in Canastota, New York, and it's in Canastota, that's where the great welterweight world middleweight champion Carmen Basilio is from. And so I would go there every year with Angelo Dundee and and still do at times. And um, so when Don King was inducted, no one got up to applaud. He was that disliked because he'd ripped off a lot of fighters for money. And um, mm-hmm. He's like the Alan Eagleson of uh, boxing. Yes, but much worse because he was chosen by the Cleveland Mafia to be their front. So Ali's last fight, sadly, was against Trevor Burbick in the Bahamas. And Ali was paid something like $7 million or whatever. But Ali, at that point, his Parkinson's had set in. And Don King said, oh, you forgot to sign this part of the contract. So Ali didn't even read it. He just signs it. And what it was, was he agrees to go drop his fee of $7 million to a fee of 300000 Oh, shit. And so Don King's trumpeting this around the casino there. And then one day he gets a knock on the door. And he, he opens the door. And in walks 20 of the foy, the fruit of Islam. And they beat him up. And they beat his son, 
adopted son Carl up and they did the old Sinatra Harry James thing that the mob did to get Sinatra out of his contract with Harry James they put a gun in Don King's mouth and they said here's the addendum uh, write your name on it and the original contract is restored for seven million and they said we don't care if it's your brains on the contract or your son's brains or your signature either way is good with us yeah that that's, that's- and you sign it or we kill you and he signed it and ended up in the hospital anyways. You know, you don't screw with these people. No. And, you know, it was Ali's people that broke the mob hold. It was the beginning of break, trying to break the mob hold unboxing in the 60s. But, I mean, there's so many people like that. Now, there was a comic years ago. I don't know if you knew him. He was a dear friend of mine, Eric Tunney. And, I knew uh, of Eric Tunney. Yeah, I couldn't hold a candle to him. He was just brilliant. And uh, I miss him. I loved him a lot. Just a wonderful person. His uncle was Frank Tunney, the wrestling promoter. Oh, yes. And uh, he, his uncle told him wonderful stories about the 1930s and wow. 20s and 1940s. So he was and, an actual Tunney. Yeah. Like the, the Tunney, they, they controlled wrestling up in Canada, like in the Toronto area, and they were affiliated with the WWF as well, because Jack right, Tunney... and Detroit and Minnesota and different places. So. Yeah, for many years, the WWF president, figurehead president, was Jack Tunney, which would have been his uncle. Right. Yeah, and that's crazy. And Frank Tunney, too. And, uh, I mean, he brought up to Canada to wrestle. He brought up Luthez and, and Vern Gagne, Edward Carponche, the these giants... You know, these famous wrestlers that had legends. real legends, yeah, that had real skill. You know, the interesting thing when you look at a guy like, um, well, when I went, I'd go to Maple Leaf Gardens. So I'd watch Haystack Calhoun, the Mighty Igor, the Sheik, Abdullah Farouk, Lord Athelayton, uh, Bobo Brazil, Sweet Daddy Siki, who my sister ended up working for as a secretary, you know, um, 40 years ago, if not more. So all these different fighters or wrestlers. And uh, I was so upset one night because I was so sure the mighty Igor was going to beat the Sheik. Yeah. And the Sheik got a pencil from Abdullah Farouk and jabbed them in the eyes and the blood came and then he beat him. And I was so upset. I couldn't stop being angry. I was 12 years old and I just went, oh, that's so damn that angers me because he was going to win. How can he get away? How can the referee be that stupid? And my father said, son, they're all friends. They're not friends. They the sheik. Everyone hates the sheik. They all know each other. No, they don't. And as we're talking, we walk by this little greasy spoon. And uh, 40 years later, the owner of the greasy spoon and I become good friends because his granddaughter goes to the same school that my daughter went to. Yes. He said, I own that greasy spoon. I know those guys. I knew those guys. Wonderful guys. And there's the sheik sitting with the mighty eagle beside him. You know, they're having drinks. They're toasting each other. They're telling stories. They're laughing. And I looked in with my eyes really wide. And I thought, how can that be? And my father said, the guy that does the sheik is a used car salesman in Detroit. He said, this isn't their full-time job, son. You know, they, they do all sorts of things. They're all friends. And, and it's funny, most boxers are friends. They mo- most of them know each other from the amateur days. Yeah, of course. Very few boxers don't like each other. Most of them like each other. It's only when you cross the line and make it personal that, that it becomes even more dangerous. But uh, I was so crestfallen because I'd gone so many times and I saw Haystack Calhoun. Uh, 
lose to the Sheik. And I remember watching Whipper Billy Watson and and Don Leal Jonathan and the Cruz Dick the Bruiser and the Dick the Crusher and uh, Ernie the Cat Lad and Bruno Sammartino, Johnny Powers. So I used to get all these old wrestling magazines would probably be worth something now and uh i'd watch the wrestling the best feed was from buffalo yeah because you got ernie the cat lad and all these other wrestlers and johnny powers and then the worst was always stampede wrestling from calgary because <laughs> it was so boring and he had this guy in his 60s and and i remember i had the magazine where and it's all published by the same company that did Ring Magazine. And, yeah. And it's the same promoters. I mean, Chris Dundee promoted wrestling as well as boxing. But I remember when Gene Kaniski won the world title. Yes. And that was a big thing. And then he lost it to Dory Funk Jr. on a spinning toe hold or leg hold. And I was so upset, but then began to like Dory Funk Jr. Never liked his brother, Terry. But um, They're still wrestling today. Both of them? Dory is 72 and he still has matches. Wow. Every now and again. And Terry hasn't wrestled as much. But that's, it's insane that he's, you know, 72 and he's still, they trained the Ted DiBiase, the million dollar man who I just had on the podcast. Right. Coming up September 14th. Yeah. Luthez had his own school and Vern Gagne had his own school. Vern Gagne, who was, yeah, he had a couple. He had Muhammad Ali for a couple of the warm up matches for the Anoki fights. I uh, had Kenny Wolf and uh, or somebody else. Uh, two guys he had him wrestle, but uh, Dick Bruiser, Dick the Bruiser, was in the wrestlers' corner helping them out with Ali. Of course, Ali had classy Freddie Blassie with him because yeah. he loved. You know, <laughs> Freddie Blassie was hated in so hated oh, in yeah. Japan. He used to file his teeth because they called him a vampire. So he filed down his teeth so they were pointy. So he could bite people and tear their flesh or that's just gimmick right but you, you that's what they would produce but uh yeah so Vern was actually the referee in those two alley matches that will warm him up so I, I have a very interesting movie at home you've heard of the French movie my dinner with Andre yes well, there's one that Andy Kaufman made. I own it as well. Yeah, My Dinner with Blassie. My Breakfast with Blassie. My Breakfast with Blassie. And it's fantastic. Yeah, it is fantastic. Because Andy Kaufman loved wrestling, and they hear Blassie talk about these pencil neck gates, and yeah. I did this. And you have to realize, Blassie was around since the late 30s. Yeah. He'd been around a long, long time. He was a very... A lot of people know him from managing the Iron Sheik and managing, but he was a very hardcore wrestler, and who always cheated, and he was legitimately tough as well and bret hart once said that yes the matches are pre-planned but depending who you're fighting if you're fighting an older guy who was around in the 50s or 60s and they understand that their job is to let you win the title yeah but they're still gonna hit you for real sometimes oh yeah they really are gonna slap you hard in the face or they really are gonna punch you in the stomach or kick you in the leg just to let you know okay you you win the title but you got to pay for it in japan the wrestling is far more stiff now we're talking about the screw job the next night after the montreal screw job wrestled wwf came into ottawa and cornwall i was at both those shows and all of a sudden i'm sitting there and they're about to go live to raw and i look over and there's Butterbean sitting in the front row. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, in high school, I was a big boxing fan. I watched all the boxing in high school. So when you mentioned Reddick Bow or Lance Lewis or, you know, all these guys, that's the era when I was really following boxing. And I, I knew who, like, we, we always had a legal cable. So I watched all the pay-per-views. My dad was a boxing fan. So I watched Butterbean fight many fights. Right. He only fought three, I think, four-rounders or yeah, something. Yeah, four-rounders. He was the king of the four-rounders. Yeah. And uh, so I went up to him. I, was, uh, I said, Eric... And he looked behind, I'm like, oh, you are Butterbean. And he's like, and he he's a guy from Alabama who's never been to another country in his life. He's like, you know who I am? Nobody bothered me at that point. I was like, yeah, you're the king of the four rounders. You're Butterbean. I watch your fights all the time. He goes, you get my fights up here? I'm like, of course. I just, you were on Jay Leno on, on Friday night. I saw you. And he was like, he's like, I was like, can we get a picture? He's like, yeah. I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, I can't talk about it. And then we get a picture. And it's so funny because I'm bald at the time uh, like like the old cubby that you knew and be, beside him he looks we, we look like brothers and there's all these signs up and it looks like we're at a clan rally or something oh, you know man. Just two skinheads and all these signs but it, we're, we're just at wrestling i'll post the picture on it on our instagram but the next night he shows up in cornwall again and eventually he would be in an angle with mark merrill who was a golden gloves boxer out of uh, buffalo who became a wrestler and uh mark merrill and uh, sable uh anyways that that was Butterbean. Uh, Mark Merrill punched him in the balls, and he was disqualified. But Butterbean would come back at WrestleMania 15. The WWE would do something called Brawl for All. To capitalize on the popularity of UFC, they thought, we're going to do our own tough man competition with our wrestlers. And the wrestlers that are legitimately tough men can sign up for it, and we'll put them in a tournament, and the winner will get to fight Butterbean at WrestleMania. This is the worst idea the WWE ever had. <laughs> they, so many of their wrestlers put gloves on and got in there and not just bar fighting bar brawling right right they knocked each other out they're like injuries oh yeah fighters getting hurt careers getting killed because of stupid knockouts and stuff like that and just unsanctioned fights and then and then uh sure enough bark gun this wrestler has to fight butterbean well that did not go well. well it, it was a it was a huge knockout. Like he knocked him down. He went to the bell. The bell saved him. He got up. He came out second one and then boom, like knocked out and knocked into the turnbuckle. Wow. Barkan never really heard of him ever again. Well, I'll, I'll tell you something. Uh, one reason Ron Howard wasn't a big fan of the Rocky films was because in the Rocky films, they're throwing thousands of punches around boxers don't do that boxers pick their spot boxers are looking for you to make a mistake the key element when you're punching another guy is um or fainting a guy let's say is you want to make him look at you and think oh there's an opening yeah but there really isn't mm-hmm. and so you you know you, you're reaching for the opening and all, next thing you know you're waking up in the dressing room George Foreman was supposed to fight Butterbean at one time. It never happened. And I asked George, and he said, why? And he said, I was genuinely afraid I would have killed him. And I, I think that was a distinct possibility. And I always would joke with George that, you know, when you're 90, you're still a contender because if George Foreman hits you once, you're finished. I remember um, Mike Tyson after he fought George Foreman. He never fought Foreman. No, no, he didn't fight. Wait, wait. Who he was, did he fight? Foreman oh, wanted to fight. Oh, my God. No, who did he... No, uh, Foreman said Tyson said. Oh, maybe Foreman fought Michael Moore. That yeah, was he knocked it. out Michael Moore. Remember That's that the night? That I saw, Do you yeah. remember a guy named Dave Hook? 
No, you yes, like I do. He's a comedian, yes. Yeah, from Kitchener. He, Long hair, yeah. Yeah, he drove me back to my apartment on Bathurst in St. Clair. I had taped the fight, so we wouldn't listen to the we didn't listen to the radio on the way home. And we watched it, and Morris beating the hell out of Foreman in the early rounds. And Angelo Dundee was in Foreman's corner. And Michael Moore had Teddy Atlas, and, and he said to him, Michael, you're winning the fight, right? You've won nine rounds. Three to go. Just stay away. Jab him. Stay away. And he goes, no, I'm going to knock him out. He said, you're not going to knock out George Foreman. Only Ali did that. It's not possible. You, you won't. Yeah. He, he's too strong. You understand? If he hits you once, solid, you're finished. No, no, I know what I'm doing. And this is after the ninth round. George went to his corner and he said, Angeli, I, and Angelo Dundee, he said, I, I have trouble missing him, uh, catching him with my right hand. He said, you know why? Because your your jab is, is so powerful, it's knocking him back too far for your right hand. And so he said, what do I do? And Angelo said, double up the jab, but shorten the distance. So jab, double jab, double jab, then jab again. Instead of doubling it, throw the right hand instead. Because he'll be looking for the jab coming from the left, so he's going to move right into your right hand. And that's exactly what happened. And Foreman hit him, and Moore was out, broke his upper jaw, and Jim Lampley had the immortal call on HBO. It happened. It happened. It happened. And he was a champ again. And it bothered him for a good 20 years after he lost to Ali. And he told me one night he woke up and he said to his wife, you know what? Ali beat me, and there's no shame in that. No. I'm, I'm his friend. I love him. He loves me. I can accept it. It's so great how many boxers have this kinship, especially the older they become. Yeah. They look back like, we've survived. We're warriors that have survived. Well, Ali was so upset that Liston was killed in a mob hit. He was given a hot shot of coke and heroin because after his career was over, he wanted to be a Shylock for the mob, you know, lend money out. And I said, you're just an ignorant leg breaker. No, 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 I don't want to do that. You know, eventually yeah. somebody will be able to beat me up. So I want to be a Shylock. And they said, no. And he said, well, then I'm going to the newspapers. And of course, Jimmy Hoffa had made that threat. You don't say that to the mob. Yeah. And the next day he was dead. And a week and a half later, his wife came home from vacation with their kid and found him. And Ali was upset because he really wanted to talk to him out. after and say, hey, yeah, and help him out and say, hey, you know, I really was afraid of you. And you really were a great fighter. Yeah. You know, that's insane. Now, um, now you're friends with George Chevallo. Yes. Yes. Close friends. Yeah. Um, now close this friends is, of Foreman. I mean, follow them just about. This is great. So I never even knew this one. Jeff McHenry pointed this one out to me last night. Uh, Owen Hart boxed Ray Rougeau. Ray Rougeau came out of retirement from wrestling to box one match in Montreal because he used to be a boxer and his dad was a boxer as well and uh, as well as wrestlers and uh, so they brought in Ray Rougeau in Montreal as the first card wrestling card at the Bell Center where uh, Molson Center at the time uh, after the forum shut down and uh, so they, they he wanted to get Shawn Michaels in there with him but Shawn Michaels was away so eventually it became Owen Hart which was good and Owen got George Chevallo to be in his corner and so at the end of the fight um, it doesn't go Owen Hart's way because obviously it's fixed for Ray Rougeau to win in Montreal but uh, the altercation happens there's always the altercation with the where it's all always going to end up with a wrestler getting knocked out but uh Chevallo went to graze his chin 
but it he full on knocked Owen out, and they had to roll him out of the ring, like just slide him. He was George could bang, yeah. You can you you'd like any when you walk. We watched it last night. We're like, oh, one of those. It's not like a, when Mike Tyson knocks out Chris Jericho, or which he told everybody, yeah, he really clipped me. He really, you know, he 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 said he felt the breeze. Tyson was so it's like Mayweather when Mayweather leading up to Big Show's thing Big Show boxed for a year took a year off wrestling and learned to box which is nobody's ever going to be his size but there uh, is someone there's a Chinese guy who's that's big like seven five and like seven seven wow. seven eight but he he can't really fight um so they said basically Big Show said to, said to Floyd he's like in this segment when we go down i'm gonna drop to my knee and let you punch me in the face give you he's like you know he goes you gotta break my nose and he goes i know you can do it without mangling my face you know and sure enough boom 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 like on the six punch blood just start gushing out of his nose he goes he, he broke my nose without without messing it up for life and he's such a perfectionist and such a professional that he did it without, you know, without wrecking my face. He knew exactly how hard and where to hit. And that, that story, that amazes me. Um, Evander Holyfield went up against Matt Hardy mm-hmm. uh, on Saturday Night's main event one time. And Evander knocked out MVP, who was managing him. I've seen that. that. And uh, that is pretty much a couple other ones where... Um, Chavo Guerrero uh, versus Ricky Hatton. Right. That November 9th, 2009. Oh, and this was a great... Antonio Noki, he must have loved wrestling boxers because he had had a couple other after he uh carl um who is the one um mildenberger you mentioned him already yeah, carl mildenberger was the german champ who ali knocked out in 12 rounds he, antonio noki uh fought him in 1978 I've seen that yeah that was way past mildenberger's fighting days and then i watched this one last night oh antonio noki 1986 fought leon spinks Right. Well, I mean, your mom could have knocked out Leon Spinks. But this one, actually, I was—I didn't recognize the I boxer. I shouldn't say that. I, I like Leon. I didn't recognize the boxer in 1992. Mm-hmm. But uh, mas- uh, basically, Masakatsu Fun- uh, Funaki, who is a famous wrestler in Japan, he had, a, I watched this last night, he had Roberto Duran. They went the full time. And ba- it was a shoot, apparently, but Funaki carried him through the match. And then eventually, I think Funaki uh, won- wins in the end. But it was a really good, entertaining match. Duran is the greatest lightweight that ever lived. He annihilated people. Yeah, and he's a legend in Montreal, right? Because of the Sugar Ray. He beat Sugar Ray, but Ray fought the wrong fight. He let Duran get to him, and uh, he stood there toe-to-toe rather than moving. That's why in the rematch, he kept moving, and then Duran just uh, quit. But that was also Angelo's genius because... Duran used to gain a lot of weight in between fights because he would eat and drink, and so they enacted the re- the the um, the rematch clause immediately. So Duran wins and doesn't realize that, you know, you got three months, you got twelve weeks to get in shape. And yeah. Ray started training within a couple of weeks of the first fight, and Duran trains for like five weeks, and he's got to lose all this weight. Couldn't do it. I was going to mention too. I saw a documentary that the Big Show was on. And he was sitting beside a couple of the wrestlers. Steve Allen narrated. Mm-hmm. It's been on quite a few times. And they asked him about the aspect of boxing where it's fixed or pre-planned. 
And he said, well, that's obvious. He said, I'm 7'5", 350 pounds. You know, the worry with me is that I could easily kill a man. Yeah. So it has to be precise and planned out. Yeah. I don't want to take someone's life. No. It's, it's entertainment. What else would a guy my size be able to do? for a living you know um there was a boxer who won a portion of the title nikolai value and he was seven four and he fought hollyfield and maybe the most boring fight ever but um guys like that suffer from gigantism like primo carnera did yeah i mean the sports are intertwined boxing included wrestling as i said in the 1700s and then Later on, uh, they separated when boxing had stricter rules. Also, boxing added a rule. Uh, well, not boxing, but this is an offshoot. Uh, John O'Sullivan, who was from Ireland originally, went back to visit Ireland after he was world champ. And he was there at an interesting time. He went there in the 1880s. And there was a problem. A lot of the Irish landowners had these indentured servants working for them and the servants could only buy stuff from stores owned by the landowner so they were perpetually in debt mm -hmm. so all these servants one landowner there were three thousand of them refused to shop at his store and the landowner's name was william boycott and that's where the phrase boycott began and so john l sided with these workers which gave more impetus to the to the boycott and broke the landowners hold over the people that work for them that's insane yeah. yeah and and there were a lot of phrases boxing's added to the lexicon you know toe the rubber uh when boxing first started there was a rubber and you both had to put your toes you know on the rubber uh the corner man there weren't there weren't stools in the 1700s a guy would just sit on one knee yeah. and you would sit on his knee if you drew first blood the round would end if you knocked a guy down the round would end that's why some fights are 90 or 100 rounds because the round didn't last that long but a lot of them you could pull a guy's hair you could flip him you could kick him you could gouge his eyes you could do all that stuff until the marcus of queensbury came in and and had these rules um my area of expertise I, I mean i know ali well is specifically 1895 to around 1915. i can tell you champions from every weight division from you know going back 150 years but when boxing was cleaned up and that the rules became stricter to appeal to a wider fan base because unlike wrestling boxing was outlawed most places and mm -hmm. it was an outlaw sport and then when jimmy walker the mayor of new york proposed the walker law in 1920 replaced the frawley and horton law which made boxing uh legal but they were always promoted by the same people and you know boxers and wrestlers knew each other and a lot of wrestlers trained boxers not in wrestling but just training how to keep fit because yeah. wrestlers had to be it wasn't like you'd have a you know a boxer could have a big title fight and he's not fighting again for six months or a year these wrestlers had to fight every single night yeah so they couldn't afford to go get hammered or or eat junk food or whatever they had to be in shape yeah they had to get their sleep and there are a lot of boxers great canadian boxers jack delaney was light heavyweight champ and was with a different five women every night which yeah. end, ended his ended his career so i mean it was it was a way um, to go out
Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, yeah, a lot of them ended up like that. Um, my, you know, boxing has also given us some of the best humor. The greatest writers, Ernest Hemingway, Damon Runyon covered boxing. One of my favorite lines, there's two of them. Uh, they asked Max Baer, who was knocked out in four rounds by Joe Lewis, what's the definition of fear? And he said, the definition of fear is standing across the ring looking at Joe Lewis and knowing he wants to go home early. And during the fight, Lewis dropped him three times, I think, in the first round. First, So Bear staggers back to his corner, and his manager says, you're doing great, he hasn't laid a glove on you. And Bear says, well, keep your eye on the referee then, because somebody is kicking the shit out of me. <laughs> well, we'll go out on that. Uh, this is, uh, we pretty much covered the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, this has been great, Lou. Uh, thank you. I've thank had a you wonderful for coming time. on. Thank you. And, thank uh, you for and sharing me. your boxing knowledge. Thank and, you. And uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this a special episode on boxing versus wrestling. Uh, if you're going to watch the Mayweather uh, McGregor fight um, this week, uh, enjoy it. If not, you know, maybe put on some wrestling. Uh, until next time, uh, thank you for for joining us i'm casey corbin uh where can we hit you up lou if we're going to find you online where can we find uh, you you can find me on my facebook page l-o-u-e-i-s-e-n uh if you want to, lewis joshua eisen is my facebook page uh if you want you can also uh, go to uh, lou eisen at rogers.com to contact me first book i worked on was with burt sugar called boxings uh, the big book of boxing lists and i'm just finishing one now called boxing is greatest controversies about the most controversial fights and then i'm working on one on george dixon who was from nova scotia who was the first black person ever to be a world boxing champion he was canadian Oh, fantastic. Um, I am Casey Corbin. You can find me uh, Casey Corbin at, at Casey Corbin Twitter, Casey Corbin on Facebook, comedian Casey Corbin on Instagram. Of course, Talking Wrestling uh, at TNW Pod on Twitter, at Talking Wrestling Podcast on Instagram. Follow us there. Um, you where, can, where can I see you do stand up? You can see me do stand up at Absolute Comedy. I will be there this weekend, uh, this Saturday night. Um, also I will be there all next week hosting at absolute comedy, uh, Brantford, uh, Ontario, um, September 23rd, I'll be in the finals of the Brantford comedy uh, festival competing for $10,000. That's a prize. That's cool. Um, so hopefully that goes well talking wrestling. That's it. We're on iTunes, never sleep network. Uh, find us on Google play, uh, anywhere popular podcast. SR. Uh, thank you very much again. One more time. Thank you, Lou Eisen, for oh, coming in. Oh, my pleasure, in. Cubby. Thank and, you for having uh, me. And you guys, you guys at home, thank you for joining in. Remember, September 14th, Hall of Famer Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man, on Never Sleeps Network's Talking Wrestling. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com.